Remain standing, if you will, and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. We are back in Genesis after our break for Easter. And in the first few verses of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come to your word now. We pray, what we always pray, that you do that which only you can do. Illumine our hearts and cause us to see wonderful things from your word. Teach us, instruct us, and may the call of the gospel ring through the words of this sermon that all of us would be drawn to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and that the lost would be drawn to everlasting hope that can only be found in him. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Have your seats. It was a good Easter season this year. Um, it's, it's, a, it's just a special time in the life of the church that we consider the reason for the hope that we have and we focus in on the resurrection. But I'm also glad to come back to our study in Genesis and pick up where we left off. Uh, today's uh, the seventh day of creation. The seventh day was unique from all the other days of creation. It talks about rest, which is something that I think all of us can identify with in some way. You don't have to be an expert in life. You don't have to be a world traveler. You don't have to be well-read. You don't have to have a Ph.D. to know the importance of rest in life and for your health. It seems like every other week there's some news story about some new study on the importance of sleep and how you're supposed to get more sleep than what you're getting and your body needs rest, which seems to only serve to stress you out more about the fact that you're not getting the rest that you need. It's like when you go to the doctor and they diagnose you as the problem in your life is stress. What do you do with that? Well, um, rest is something that we need. And while there might be some great practical steps that we can take, God has given us a good gift for rest right here on the seventh day of creation. You know, even if you're not tired, you still understand the idea of weariness. If, even if you're not sleepy, if you slept well last night and you woke up this morning and you had plenty of coffee and you feel good, you still understand the notion that to be human is to be weary. Think of the things that we grow weary of. I mean, you can look around the world, the bad news. Uh, you can think of the way that the culture's heading or the stock market's going down or whatever it is, but you, you don't have to look very far to realize that you're weary of things. And you desire for something more than what most of us have in this state of life in terms of rest. So what is it that makes us feel tired? Why do we need rest? Well, we could talk about the fact that we're not infinite creatures. We don't have unending energy. We need to recuperate. Or we could talk about the fact that, well, we just mentioned just how busy our lives are. And the pace at which everything moves is exhausting. We could make a list and then probably make another list after that of all the reasons why 
we need rest, but I'm not sure that any of them would get to the root of the problem. If it was just about having a lighter schedule or removing the world's problems from us, then that wouldn't explain why people who are able to do those things are also restless. We think of the super wealthy, the uber rich, that have the ability to remove every concern from life. They don't even have to labor. They can pay someone to do that for them. And yet, these people always are also experience restlessness. Just in case, you can Google this. I did this week. I just wondered what kind of stories that were out there on this idea. I know it to be true, but you, know, you kind of wonder what's being written. And I was surprised at how much has been written on this. Uh, stories that recount, like for example, the dot-com boom. People, you know, a number of people, because of the internet, became super wealthy overnight. And enough time has passed to show that many of them, although all of their material needs were met uh, in an overabundance, and they had the ability to remove a lot of worries that they may have had the day before, the price that they paid in the long run wasn't worth any amount of money. They lost so much more. You think of the stories of lottery winners. And it's interesting. Some numbers say as high as 70% of lottery winners declare bankruptcy. Um, I think a more it's, it's lower than that from what I read, but, but the lowest number I could find was a third. Now think about that. These, this isn't that a third of people run out of the money that they've been given. They declare bankruptcy, right? They, they not only spend what they had, they spend it all and, and, and then overspend in terms of credit so that they have to declare bankruptcy. What's my point in all of this is that No amount of money or ease or convenience or whatever will give us the rest that we long for. There's a problem that is greater and that is deeper that not only brings restlessness and makes us weary, but at times even makes us feel hopeless. We all long for perfect rest. Not just in the sense of rest for our bodies, a good night's sleep, but rest for our minds, for our emotions. I'm talking about complete rest. And what it is that we long for is this idea of shalom. Everything made as it should be. The way that God intended it to be. The way that God created it to be. There's good news and there's bad news about this. I'll give you the bad news first. We will never know complete rest in its intended way in this life. The world's fallen. You and I are sinners. The people next to us are sinners too. We will never know this in its true sense. But the good news is God gives us a taste of the rest that is to come. And one of the ways that he gives us a taste of this is the Sabbath. The Sabbath is God's gift to his people that is designed to give us a taste for the rest that we long for. Now, maybe you don't feel that way this morning. Maybe Sunday morning is as exhausting as any other day of the week. I think in terms of families and what it's like, you know, we're at this stage now where we don't have to corral as much, but Sundays can be exhausting. Or you may just feel like you're to the point in life where just getting you here was exhausting. Maybe you're tired this morning, or maybe you think Sundays are boring, and you'd rather be anywhere but here. I hope that today when we look at this idea of Sabbath rest, we'll all better, it will be better to, to understand better able to understand, rather, all that God has intended for us in this idea of Sabbath.
that it is a good gift for us given to in creation. Notice it's given in creation before the fall. The Sabbath wasn't given after the fall. It was given before the fall. And so let's keep that in mind as we look now in verse 1. There are are, uh, a number of things that we'll see from here. The first is the idea that Sabbath involves completion. Sabbath is a picture of completion, both here on the seventh day of creation as well as the final Sabbath rest that we will one day experience. In verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. The heavens and the earth and all the host of them is just the writer's way of saying that's everything. It's all done. All that God intended to create, he created. I mean, he's God after all. Everything he intends, he accomplishes. So everything that needed to be made, everything that he wanted to make, the whole thing was complete. So there's this picture of completion. It's a declarative statement telling us what has happened. And as you read through Genesis, it almost seems like uh, that should have been a part of chapter 1 maybe, and then chapter 2 should have started with verse 2. The verses and chapter markings are not part of inspiration in terms of Scripture. Those were added a long time after Scripture was written. But I actually think verse 1 sets us up to better understand uh, verses 2 and 3. And that is... Although the work of creating was done, it was not a cessation of activity. And that's something that is important to understand about Sabbath rest. It's not that the fact that everything ceased, but that the vocational work for us ceases on the Sabbath. That's, that's what God has ordered us to do. What God stopped doing at this point was creation, or creating rather, but he didn't stop working. In fact, Jesus says that he and the Father continue to work to this day. And Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for us. You know, there's, it's just something interesting to think about. If God created all of this in six days, and he's spent a lot longer now getting heaven ready for us, it kind of makes you wonder how good heaven's going to be. Sabbath is a day of ceasing our vocational work. So this word for rested that gets translated in the ESV and a number of other translations rested really just means stopped. It means ceased. God stopped the work. But then he went on to bless it and make it holy. Now we might think in terms of the amount of work that's involved in creating the heavens and the earth and all of their hosts compared to blessing and making something holy that this is kind of light work for God. But let's remember who God is. He's infinite in power. So it took him neither greater effort or lesser effort to do either or. And he was in no way depleted of his energy when he was done on the days of creation than he was done on the Sabbath day when he blessed it and made it holy. In other words, the Sabbath day was not a day for God to get recharged as if he needed to take a nap. God is infinite in power. Rather, the Sabbath was about completion, blessing, and holiness. And that's what I hope we can see Today, the Sabbath is about completion, blessing, and holiness. I will say the Sabbath is about more than that, but from this text, I hope that we'll see that the Sabbath is at least about completion, blessing, and holiness. First, the idea of completion in verse 2, we read, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. The seventh day is unique, as we've said. God completed all that he intended to do. He could have created more. Kind of makes you wonder, 
what all he might have done if he had wanted to do more. But he did all that he intended to do. And then he stopped from that work, meaning it was done. It was completed. Everything that is needed is done. You may have seen these documentaries about our universe and where you know, scientists look at our situation and kind of marvel at how unique and rare the earth is as we get to discover further and further and further away with more and more technology, we discover really how rare planet Earth is. The Earth is just the right distance from the sun to support and sustain life. A little bit further in and we'd all burn up. A little bit further away, we'd all freeze to death. The atmosphere is just the right makeup to provide both habitation and a sense of protection from the harm the sun could inflict on us. The rotation The rhythms of the earth and the sun and the moon and all the other planets seem to point to this idea that there's this intention or there's a plan or maybe there was a designer. And if you've watched so many of these documentaries, they get to this point where it's almost like you think they're going to say it and then they just stop. They don't get there. But the psalmist sings what we all know in our hearts, and that is, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. God had not only created an incredible universe and world, he made it self-sustainable, he made it self-replicating, a world that would move forward, that would continue on. Plants and animals would reproduce. Humans would procreate. And God would, over the course of history, and this was really what we get to see as next, stretch out the canvas of redemption. Creation was accomplished and finished on the seventh day so that the better canvas of redemption would be stretched out. Now that the creating work was done, we get to see what God was really about to do. Of course, even as I phrase it that way, it makes it sound like God is limited by space and time. You know, the way we would do things, we complete one task and then we move on to the other, and God is in no way limited by that, but it's the way that we understand it. It's the way that we put words around it. And so even in the idea of moving on to the plan of redemption, He gives us this gracious gift for His creation, again, before the fall, that would testify or be an example to us of the consummation that is to come, of the redemption that is to come. Not just that we're saved from our sins, but that we're saved for something else, something beyond this world. See, our problem is we have way too small of a view of redemption. All of us do, and man always has. Israel thought that deliverance from Egypt would solve all of their problems. Deliverance from Egypt was a good thing. But did it solve all of their problems? They got to the promised land, and they thought if they could just get rid of those pesky Philistines, then all of their problems would be gone. Were all of their problems gone? No. And then the story just goes on from one occupying force to another, even to the time of Christ we come, and what's their hope? They want to be redeemed from the Roman occupation. And we're no different. In our day, we want to be delivered from things like credit card debt, boredom, heart disease, injustices, inconvenience, and bad weather. All of these things are worthy to be delivered from. They're not the way things were intended to be. Even things that are serious, like heart disease, 
and things that aren't so serious like inconvenience and boredom, all are not the way things are supposed to be. All of, the, all of these are results of living in a fallen world. But they're all too short-sighted of redemption. Our view is way too small. The hope of what we need is found here on day seven in seed form. We need and long for true Sabbath rest. Again, it's not a cessation from activity, but it is a completion, a mark of blessing and holiness. So for us, the true Sabbath rest is not simply about stopping everything. And neither will heaven be like that. You remember as a kid thinking, maybe people told us this, I don't know where the idea came from, that heaven was going to be sitting around on clouds playing harps. And that always sounded so boring to me. I didn't want to go to heaven. If that was heaven, what heaven was like. There was no true activity. But what we're seeing here in the future is the true Eden, the way things were intended to be, the new heavens, the new earth, when we will finally get to experience all that Sabbath rest is. Mention three things, completion. In the Sabbath, final Sabbath rest, we will know true completion. We will be glorified. No more suffering, no more sanctification, no more striving against sin. We will be made holy. Blessing, all that we long for. Complete fulfillment, true meaning and delight in life. Again, things that we long to possess. And holiness, we will finally be pure. We will be free from sin, holy as God is holy. John captures this in his first epistle when he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know and that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The completion, blessing, and holiness that we see God exercise here in Genesis 2 is a glimpse of the final Sabbath rest that we all long for. Verse 3 captures the setting apart and the holiness. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You may have noticed when we read the whole text together that there's kind of a rhythmic uh, movement through verses 2 and 3. It doesn't come out completely in the English, but there's some repetition there that sounds awkward. You, you might think that the, the author could, be, uh, could have been a little bit more economical with his words. But what is here is, is trying to be captured what, what was present in the Hebrew, and that was these three parallel phrases. So parallelisms in Hebrew are used to emphasize or draw attention to, but also give beauty to the wording. And that's what we see here in verses 2 and 3 of Genesis 2. This is what the verses would have sounded like if we just literally wrote them out. Notice how the seventh day is at the centerpiece of each of the lines. Line 1 would read, So God finished by the seventh day His work which He did. Line 2, And He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He did. Line 3, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. And then line four, because on it he rested from all his work that God created to do. It's, it's, it's a form of poetry to give beauty and meaning to the words. This is what Kent Hughes says about these verses. The seventh day stands apart in solitary grandeur as the crown to the six days of creation. 
This indicates not only immense literary craft, but deep theological significance. From the beginning of creation, the seventh day was central, not only to creation, but to the ultimate destiny of God's people. The seventh day mattered then, it matters now, and it matters in the future. The Sabbath is established here in creation. Later, the Sabbath would become the covenant sign of the Mosaic Covenant, given in the fourth command of the moral law. Unfortunately, Jewish leaders would then begin to attach, as we all do because we're all little legalists in our own hearts, begin to attach man-made rules to these things in an attempt to earn God's favor. They created lists, and then they created more lists, and then they created more lists. And today, there's even a marketplace. I've mentioned how somehow I looked at something on Amazon, and now every time I go back, it reminds me that this is maybe something I want to buy. But, you know, things that you put over your light switches for Shabbat so you don't accidentally turn on the light because you're not supposed to do that. There's a whole market for selling products to protect you from breaking these man-made laws. But maybe you're wondering, what does the Sabbath mean for us as believers? What does it mean for us as Christians today? There's actually quite a bit of variation in how Christians interpret the Sabbath for us today. Let me remind you of some passages that speak to this. You may remember when we went through Colossians in chapter 2, where Paul writes, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Remember, the Judaizers were coming in Colossae, and they were trying to add these extra rules, works righteousness, to these new Christians' lives, teaching them salvation by works. And Paul says, let no one pass judgment, indicating that there is some freedom in terms of how they honor the Sabbath, because the substance belongs to Christ. Another passage, Romans 14, 14, verse 5, says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it to honor the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the other who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Each should be fully convinced, is the key phrase there. Seeking to honor the Lord in how they treat this day and every other day. In other words, don't look down on your sister who abstains and don't look down on your brother who eats. Some may be convicted that an afternoon walk on the beach is acceptable and another may deem it not acceptable. But keep in mind, Romans 14, each should be fully convinced in his own mind. So even while there is freedom in understanding the particulars of the Sabbath, there is something that I want us all to understand about the Sabbath for those of us who are between the cross and the return of Christ. The command to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy is a part of the moral law. It's a part of the moral law. So the civil and ceremonial laws are fulfilled in Christ. We no longer keep those. The moral law of God stands forever. Now, there's no question that Christ fulfilled the entire law, but the moral law does something for us. It shows us who God is, and it also protects us. In other words, the law given to us in the Ten Commandments are a gift from God to show us how to live not only lives that please Him, but lives that are lived to the fullest. The Sabbath is a gift 
to us. And I think the strongest argument for honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy is actually the moral law. There are other arguments that we could look at as well. But I think the moral law stands. Here are some of the ways that we can honor the Sabbath, that we can receive all that it's intended to be as a gift to us. First, we need rest. All of us need rest. We're not infinite creatures. We weren't meant to be workaholics, although many of us feed on the satisfaction of feeling productive. If you're like me, it's something I fight against. The need, I can't sit still. I, I, I need to feel productive. We need to cease from our vocations and worldly enterprises for a time. Not just because we need to be physically and mentally restored, we do, but because we need to be spiritually restored, shored up, strengthened, and encouraged. We need rest. Two, we need instruction. None of us knows it all. Plus, we all forget what we do know. We need to learn and we need to be reminded of the truth. In the same way that our bodies need to be restored from labor, our minds need to be restored from the battle for our thoughts. Our hearts need to be restored from spiritual warfare. The truth of God's Word does this for us. So we need a day where we give considerable attention to the Word of God. We need instruction. We need rest. We need instruction. We need fellowship. Christians are not immune to loneliness. Even more so, Christian fellowship has a way of strengthening our hearts. When we look in Acts 2.42, remember our study through Acts? The early church, we find they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And we love that, right? We admire the early church for doing that. We think, oh, that we could be more like the early church in that regard. It's true. But just a couple verses below that, in verse 47... It says that they were praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Fellowship has a way, Sabbath rest has a way of being evangelistic because what we have together in the body of Christ is truly something that is desirable. And the Lord's Day has a way of putting this on display. So we need fellowship. Finally, we need worship. We need to sing and we need to hear others singing. We need to pray and we need to hear others praying. We need to profess what we believe and we need to hear others doing the same. And we need to hear and be instructed from the Word of God. There may be Sundays when you feel like the psalmist who said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And there may be Sundays where you don't feel glad. Come to worship anyway. We need worship. The Sabbath rest that we get to experience in our lives between the ascension of Christ and return is a taste of what is to come. And some days that taste will be like a feast. And some days that taste will be just like a a whiff of a smell. You'll barely notice it. But know that all that we long for that is set forth here in Genesis 2 on this seventh day of creation, completion, holiness, and blessing will be ours when Christ returns. The day is coming when our faith will be made sight and our reward will be our possession. Revelation 21.3 captures this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself 
will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we long for the day of of eternal Sabbath rest. But in this time in which we live now, may we be receivers of this good gift that is your Sabbath to us every Lord's Day, to honor it and to keep it holy, not just for our benefit, but to to truly honor you, to please you. May we recognize that we not only need rest, but we need instruction and we need fellowship and we need worship. May we not lay those things aside carelessly. May, May we take hold of them for what they are, a good gift from our Creator God to us, intended from the first days of creation for all time that we are here, so that one day we may, as we just now taste a bit of it, may, now, may then receive in full what is the hope of our faith, final Sabbath rest, when everything will be complete, where perfect blessing will be realized, and where we will be as you, holy and pure. Lord, we long for that day. Would you strengthen us until your return, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.